Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, and wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Travis Masati. He is a poet and lecturer who serves as a 2015-2016 Regional Arts Commission Artist Fellow and also as the Poet-in-Residence at the Endangered Wolf Center in St. Louis. Welcome, Travis. Hi. Glad to be here. I am happy that you are here as well. So tell me, how does how does one become a Poet-in-Residence for Endangered Wolf Center? Uh, first, you have to uh, write poems. Uh, that's a, <laughs> that's a good a, start. <laughs> it's a prerequisite for uh, becoming the poet in residence. But uh, the other thing is uh, you have to, um, in, in my particular experience, uh, actually spend a lot of time um, at the place, in this case, the Native Wolf Center, investing and volunteering and helping out um, in, in ways that only a poet can um, so some of the ways that uh, that I've uh, that I helped and kind of helped shape the position was um, helping to uh, perform outreaches uh, where we talked about the history of wolves and literature as well as uh, nature and poetry and to get uh, people of all ages excited about both wolves but also about the power of poetry to uh, to engage the environment and the world around us. That's so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, so tell me about the center. I mean, are there wolves walking around? Or <laughs> This is a great question. Uh, not, not free range. Good. Uh, they all have uh, their own enclosures. It is a... Uh, um, really a remarkable institution. It was founded in 1971 by uh, Marlon Perkins, who is uh, n- uh, no stranger to St. Louis, was the director of, right. the, of the St. Louis Zoo, and uh, um, most notably uh, on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Uh-huh. Um, but he uh, he founded the Endangered Wolf Center. It was the first conservation center of its kind. Uh, it was it predates the uh, the Endangered Species Act, if that puts things into perspective. Um, so he saw that uh, that wolf populations across the world were in decline, and um, he decided to uh, try and save the species that we had here in North America that were uh, that the numbers had fallen and were going to go extinct if nothing was done. And uh, along with uh, a few other organizations in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, they were uh, able to uh, save two species, the red wolf and the Mexican gray wolf from extinction. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, and so they're currently still, uh, you know, engaged in the recovery of those two species as well as other canids that you may be familiar with, uh, foxes and um African painted dogs and Maine wolves from South America. So um, it's really a wonderful organization that's that's been around for 45 years. They still call it the best kept secret in St. Louis. Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, I have to, I will be honest. I really did not know it existed until I, you were coming on as a guest. I'm like, we have this? That sounds really cool. Where is this? <laughs> well, that's, 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 a, you know, the best kept secret is a curse and a blessing in some yeah. ways. Uh, they, they do specialize in, uh, the um, recovery of uh, endangered species. So breeding is one of the big things. And so um, having a center that is uh, not like a traditional zoo where it's open to the public every day is important for allowing the animals to maintain their kind of natural instincts and their wariness of humans so that if they are released into the wild that they 
that they will behave in a way that is natural and will keep them safe from humans. <laughs> well, good for them. Yeah. I mean, that that says a lot about them that they get that, you know, I mean, and, I, and it, it's got to be a balance, right? Because, Always, yeah. you know, obviously we need donations. We, we could use sponsorship and help and all that, but you don't get to show up here all the time. Yes, and if you want to get involved, you can go to www.endangeredwolfcenter.org and you can find ways to get involved and volunteer or come out for a wolf howl. They have plenty of ways for people to get engaged and they do a lot of outreach into the community with schools and libraries. So they found ways to to both engage the public and and maintain you know the integrity of the species they care for. So, so. So tell me about, and, and I mean, I know you're also with the Regional Arts Commission. Do you, as part of the process for, I mean, part of your existence being at these places, are you writing poems that are inspired by them? Uh, yeah. Well, I my I had a, a uh, book, my latest collection came out in 2014. It's a uh, field study. And uh, the book uh, kind of was... Um, uh, a book that I had to write. Uh, there are lots of books that uh, people would like to write. This was one that um, I had spent a lot of time uh, with my wife, who is a uh, carnivore carnivore biologist. Uh, you know, following her in her field work, uh, um, she worked for a time in Yellowstone uh, as a wolf oh, biologist, cool. and I was able to go out with her team and hike in the wild and uh, process kill sites and encounter grizzlies and things of that nature. And um, so the book uh, that came out of that was really a reflection of the work that she has done and the work that the the Wolf Center that, that she's currently doing at the Wolf Center. So um, uh, a lot of poems, all the poems that, uh, that, that came into that collection were born out of the space of conservation and um, um, kind of... Uh, um, traffic in that world with the regional arts commission um the fellowship was more or less a a uh a, a, you know a, an opportunity for me to spend time writing and engaging the craft in um in however i wanted to do that so a lot of that has involved uh both my role as as the poet in residence at the endangered wolf center and focusing on a lot of my conservation poetry but also being able to explore other things that fascinate me that's so cool. And, yeah. and and I'm always amazed at I mean when you read poetry, it's I mean you're you're like painting with words. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um so do you have lots of thesauruses sitting around or do you like read up on, you know, cool words that have gone out of vogue or <laughs> <laughs> That is that is a great question. I oh, I love um I think I, there there's this this word that uh, comes up in Facebook feeds every now and then. It's called uh, petrichor. Petrichor. Yeah, and I think okay. it's I think it's the uh, the smell of rain in the in the the smell of the forest just after it rains. Ooh. And it's like a very unique. Uh, who knows that Facebook could have made it up for all I know, but it's, it is a very nice word. I do love wordplay. I mean, in, in poetry, poetry is uh, first and foremost uh, a place where uh, you can play and where um, um, ideas kind of form um, through the language that you use and the language that you can find. So to answer your question about the thesaurus, uh, yes, I do have a thesaurus that I keep uh, uh, very close by. Uh, and I have a very old dictionary, which is also one of my uh, go-tos that I can go into and just uh, like a 
like a spelunker and just kind of find something in there that, you know, I never even knew existed. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, I would think that, you know, being a poet, you are going to be a lover of words. So you're going to want to explore and see what different types of words are out there or even I love every once in a while I, I want to think I think it's mental floss that will come out with uh, a page about you know here's some words from 1800 <laughs> you know that yep. they used in England that we don't use anymore and and what I and I the thing I like about a lot of the words is they feel kind of what they are yeah. You know, and I think so, every once we come across a word, you're like, that doesn't seem right. Like, that doesn't feel like that should be the word for that. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but, but then somewhere it's like, oh, that totally feels like it's perfectly, that's the word for that. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you got to wonder um, if part of our development with language came from feeling, you know, like, like this feels like I should say it this way. Right. You know? Yep. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I go back to, uh, like Shakespeare, he invented uh, laughter. That's one of his famous neologisms. You know that he the words that that was coined by by Shakespeare. And when you say the word laughter, it it feels like it feels like laughter. Yeah, so yeah. I, I I totally understand that impulse, and I think it's you know I I can't speak for all poets, but I think that a lot of poets do gravitate towards uh, uh, the feeling of words. You know, um, as much as they do the sound and the meaning. Right. So. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back with Travis Masati. Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and I'm the owner of 100th Monkey Media. 100th Monkey Media specializes in affordable and very effective social media solutions for the small to medium-sized business. Our goal is to create a social media presence that shows off who you are, what you do, and delivers brand loyalty and raving fans. Contact us today to learn what 100th Monkey Media can do for you. 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. That's 636-789-1776 or 100thmm.com. And we are back with Travis Masati. So Travis, you are going to be one of our speakers on December 10th. Tell us a bit about your talk, of course, without giving too much away. Yeah, um, I'm thrilled that I was, uh, you know, asked to do this and I'm very excited about the whole event and a lot of the other speakers that are, uh, uh, going to be joining me on the stage. Um, not at the same time, that would be a very confusing thing. <laughs> that would but be an odd TEDx it, if we did that. That would be a very <laughs> odd TEDx, but I am, I am, I, I don't know if I'm as excited to, uh, to actually give my talk or to listen to the people that are coming out, uh, um, to talk with me that I, they are just really some remarkable speakers um, who have very compelling and I've gotten to meet them over the course of the uh, last couple of months since we've been working on this and worked with them and got to see kind of a window into what they're going to be talking about right. and and I'm just, you know, I'm very excited and people out there, if uh, you're thinking about attending, it is a, it is going to be a remarkable night uh, and day um, of speakers uh, for my own talk <laughs> without <laughs> giving mine. it away. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, with my own talk in mind, um, uh, I am trying to provide a nice balance uh, to a lot of the speakers and I'm going to be obviously talking uh, about poetry, but one of the things that, uh, uh, 
poetry uh, can do for people in terms of um, uh, the title of my talk is Finding Our Place. So it's really about learning how we fit into the world. Uh, it's something that poets do as a, as a practice, and it's something that I've been uh, teaching um, uh, emerging writers uh, how to do. Um, how to find their place, and uh, I, I'll, I'll give you just uh, a hint at one of my bullets, but uh, we were talking about this before uh, we started recording, is awareness. Right. Um, this, this um, some people call it mindfulness, um, and uh, so some of my best friends who are also poets around the country refer to it. I, I like awareness because I have... Uh, uh, I have this idea about engaging the world around you with all of your senses simultaneously um, and being aware of how um, how your senses are reacting to the world around you. Um, poets do this because we have to uh, kind of tune ourselves to um, the otherwise... Uh, um, mundane things that seem to float past us on a daily basis. Um, but this awareness is really critical to learning how we kind of fit in. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking about both awareness, uh, and a couple other key components that probably, um, will help people, um, to become, um, a little more engaged with the world right. around them on a daily basis. I mean, because that's the thing. It's not. It's not. It's not one of these things that you can do once and your life is going to be ever changed. It's kind of a uh, a mode of living, and um, and it has broad applicability to everybody's life, not just poets. Although right, we, we although tend to, poets tend to right exactly. You, yeah, I think. No, so you said something that I found really interesting and I want to explore it a little bit. You were talking about the mundane tasks, mm -hmm. the things that most people just, you know, you're, you're like, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm, you know, these are <laughs> things I do every day. I don't really need to think about this. Um, is, is there any, like, have you ever, you know, I'm going to brush my teeth with the other hand or have you ever done anything to kind of like being, you know, get, get, get your awareness going on a certain mundane something. Ooh, that is a, that is really good. Um, you know, I, I, I will say in in a teaching um, capacity and as well as a student, one of the things that I adopted from a former professor of mine uh, was every semester he would uh, have a list of different places around St. Louis, um, um, magic shops and dive bars and uh, the art museum, you know, some of the, oh, the big ones. Fun. And he would require you. Uh, and now I've, I've done this with my own students, require them to go out to, uh, to a single location and engage in an environment that they otherwise might have missed. Um, so it's, it's, it's not a remarkable, um, it, it shouldn't be remarkable. It should be just, uh, a visiting a place and, um, and, and, and engaging it in a way that's meaningful to you, that you bring kind of a sense of perspective and uh, your personal history to bear into the moment. Um, what an awesome assignment, yeah. though. I would love that if someone tasks me with, you know, now you're going to go here at a place you've never been before. And then do they, come, do they write a poem about it or they just talk about... You know, this is this is what I um, notice or what I put my attention on. Usually, there's a there is what we would call a closed form response, which would be kind of a little piece of prose that talks about uh, the the trip in kind of a more um, 
you know, uh, essayistic style. And then there is always the, uh, in, in a poetry workshop where we're, we're going to write a poem about that as well. So, right. um, uh, it's kind of a twofold process, I think. That's so cool. You know, and I've had experiences before where, um, believe it or not, this is in Philadelphia at the Reading Market. I had I've had experiences before where I'm just watching someone do something, but I got into this whole meditative space with it. And one time, it was just this guy was making my green tea for me, and I just got really like I I was watching every. It, for one thing, the guy that was making the tea was so considerate about this action. It, yeah. it it just it just struck me, and I became like really meditative and just watching it. And to this day, I still think about that. Like here was this mundane thing, <laughs> you know. I could have been doing anything else, looking around, seeing what else. Where else should I go after I get my tea? And instead, I was just engrossed in this moment of watching this person carefully make this tea for me. And and if we could bring that sort of attention to a lot of things we do, yeah. maybe we could all be poets. No, I don't think I could. But well, <laughs> I don't. I don't think a lot would get done um, <laughs> well, on a daily basis. I think we need. Uh, you know, society thrives on uh, uh, a diverse sense of uh, uh, responsibility <laughs> that everybody brings something to bear. But uh, poets, uh, we we may have a little bit more. Uh, um, attention to poetry that would be kind of cool but it's it's funny you talk about uh one of the other things that i that i know is going to come up in my ted talk and it's a kind of one of my pillars is about uh is about on top of being aware is also putting yourself in a place where you're comfortable being a student ah. um, and so when you talk i i use the barista example um in a lot of lectures that i've given where i where i'm talking about allowing yourself to be comfortable, um, because I think a lot of people forget what it means once they they leave school, what it is to be a student, and why it's important to um, to realize that you can learn from everybody exactly. around you, that everybody has something to teach you, and the more that you can put yourself in that space, well, you know, and that's something that poets do because as uh, we're often, you know, researchers as well. Right. Um, so when we, uh, if you want the truth, you go to poetry because nobody pays more attention to the fine details of is this exactly how it should be? Is this how um, uh, things work? Is this the correct word that I would use in this situation? Interesting. Um, and so that requires a lot of uh, time <laughs> and energy and patience and, and of course, uh, um, putting yourself in a vulnerable state where you can um, treat something in a way that it deserves to be treated, whether it's, um, you know, um, I, I tend to gravitate personally towards moments of language that uh, often get uh, passed by. And so I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I was watching Antiques uh, Roadshow. Uh, this was last night. And a woman came on and she had this beautiful painting and I can't remember the artist he was a, an English painter and um, had been hanging in there in her mother's house and had been in her grandmother's house and so on and so forth for a long time and she talked about her grandmother who bought it and she said my grandmother was somebody who liked the finer things in life and I thought the finer things the finer in life things right well, you know what is what is that what does that mean and so uh, I mean you know at the poet's generally don't talk about what their next poem is going to be about because you're, you're afraid that you're going to scare it off like a like a wild animal. But 
I don't think I could scare that off. What a wonderful thing to explore and um, and to see what happens when when you start to unpack the language that we use to describe what is essentially, um, you know, uh, a cultivation of, of beauty, but also a richness. It's Oh, I don't know where I'm going to go with it. I love, ooh, <laughs> you well, know. you'll have to tell us when sure. you have that done. Oh, wonderful, yeah. <laughs> we are going to take another break, and we will be right back with fun questions for Travis. This is Mickey Hancock. Now's a good time to get a snack. My mom's going to do another commercial. If you're looking for an agency to help you with creating and publishing engaging content, launching campaigns, or reputation management, 100th Monkey Media is the social media agency for you. Make your business successful with its social media and get a real return from your investment. 100th Monkey Media is far more affordable than you may think, and we make it easy and impactful. Learn how 100th Monkey Media can help you on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and more. Contact us at 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. That's 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. And we are back and it is question time, sir. Nice. And you know he have free license with this. Go for it. So the first question I have for you is... Describe poetry. <laughs> um, you know, poets tend to do this. Uh, when somebody asks them to uh, describe poetry or define poetry, they tend to quote other poets. And I'm going to quote That's another fine. poet. I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my one of my favorite uh, quotes that I kind of um, go back to is um, a quote that says that poetry is simply memorable speech. It was uh, W.H. Auden who uh, defined poetry as memorable speech. But um, I think that gives, uh, certainly in the context of contemporary poetry, where there is a uh, wide range of what people are doing with poetry, um, that that it, the essential quality that uh, that. I feel defines poetry is 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 that it is memorable speech. Um, I like that. That makes so much sense, though. Well, in the 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 original poem. I mean, poem um, in the Greek uh, means made thing, a made thing. So I always think of like um, somebody who fabricates furniture, um, and so. It, of course, I was already talking about Antiques Roadshow, but you know, <laughs> you can tell a lot uh, about the period when, uh, let's say, an end table was uh, crafted, who crafted it, where they were, what type of wood they were using, etc. Cetera, et cetera, all the fine details that go into it. Um, and I love thinking about poetry in that context as uh, poems are these made things not necessarily tangible. I mean, books of poetry are tangible. You can set your coffee cup on them when you're done, but uh, um, but that they are reflective of not just the person who created them, but the environment in which they were created and the tools that were available um, at the time. So, so it's I, like their poetry. It is. It's their poem. Absolutely. Ooh. Can yeah. I say that about everything that I do then? I made this tea. It is my poem. <laughs> it is. You know, uh, I, I, I've, I've always, I've always thought that it's a very curious thing that, that poetry is, uh, that the, the word poem is, is such a, has such a kind of a broad definition in right. the original, uh, what, not the original context, but at least in the Greek. I think that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, sir. Thank you. So I know you probably have a ton of them. 
but right now in this space, do you have a favorite line from a poem? Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, <laughs> let me think. Okay, so I I don't know if it's a favorite, but I will. This was this was a very recent one that just uh, blew me away. It was uh, it's a poet. Um, whose work I am um, hit or miss sometimes on, but uh, um, her name is Ann Carson, and she's a contemporary poet, and she said uh, uh, she was talking about uh, the difference between prose and poetry, and she said, um, um, if prose is a house, then poetry is a man on fire running rather quickly through that house. Oh goodness, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I was like, oh god, that's that's just that's it, you know. I mean, uh, uh, you always think about how to approach, you know, because uh, again, it's another definition, perhaps, or like, how do we how do we define what is a poem or what is poetry? But I like it when you can uh, get a visual image like that in your head, and it somehow um, uh, resonates also with the what we would maybe call the little. Uh, lowercase truth. <laughs> oh, I yeah. love that thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good That's got line. me thinking. That's going to be something I'll be thinking about all day, I have a feeling. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this podcast is G-rated or is it... Uh, oh, no, podcasts aren't G-rated. Yeah, I well, was going to say, because <laughs> one of my favorite lines is uh, a, a Larkin quote that uh, um, starts off, and I'll just... Uh, they screw you up. He doesn't say they. He doesn't say they screw you up. He says okay, gotcha. the big F word. They screw you up. Your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. And many a therapy has and been. And many a therapy, of course. Yeah, <laughs> due no, to I, that particular thought. Love that. Love that little. Uh, that little idea. So, oh, so well said. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, you know, and parents do their best, though. I mean, oh my it's, gosh. oh my gosh. You, it, not until you are a parent, mm-hmm. I think, do you understand how much your parents did for you. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I, I look back and I think, I'll be like, Mom, why did, <laughs> weren't you going crazy? And she goes, Oh my gosh, I was going crazy when you decided to do that, you yep. know? And I mean, and I have a 14 year old daughter, and, you know, I'm, I'm in that place now, that fine balance of allowing her independence, but also not too much independence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I know that you want to be able to drive around all over the world with this, <laughs> you know, with the, with the people you know that are older that have cars, but mom isn't quite ready for all that yet. So yep. we have, you know, you can go here, you can go. We've got boundaries, yeah, right? Yeah, keeping those boundaries. And, you know, I also like recognizing that uh, our own imperfections are going to manifest and imprint themselves on our uh, on our children. It's, it's such like, a wonderful gift. That's like karma, you yeah. know? Oh, it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you did that to your parents and now they're going to do it to you. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Okay, I have another question for you. Um, and it, okay, was, do you recall... Was there a first poem that you read that just that sparked that went, I'm going to do this. I'm interested in being a poet. I mean, was there something you read or saw or did? You know, I, 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 there, there are a lot of moments that I can point to growing up that uh, kind of led me to poetry. There are a couple I've talked about in the past, and one was getting a first book of poems. I remember I was... Um, 
I was 19. I was going to community college. I really didn't have a clear sense of direction on what I was going to do with my life. I loved to write, but had not been actively writing poetry. And my mom, on a whim, uh, gave me a Billy Collins book, The Apple That Astonished Paris, which um, was a really beautiful book. Um, but it was, uh, you know, they talk about accessibility in, in poetry. It can be a double-edged sword, you know, trying to be accessible to the to a broader audience who doesn't necessarily read poetry, um, but maintaining kind of the, the elements that make a poem a really finely crafted thing. It's a very difficult line to walk. And Billy right. Collins, for me, was... Um, at, at that moment in my life, somebody who gave me the um, uh, the curiosity, I guess, to explore my own interests with uh, the form and the genre and um, to kind of do that. But I, I remember when I was in eighth grade, I mean, the first eighth or seventh grade, I remember there was there was a, um, a, a girl that I was trying to woo. And, you know, there is no more. Uh, of an awkward period in people's lives than middle school. Right. Or junior high. I was still in junior high as before middle school. Um, but that is the that is literally the most awkward moment. And I remember going to our middle school junior high library and um, finding a book of love poems like Neruda and uh, Shakespeare was in there, of course, and um, pilfering that stuff to try and, uh, you know, get somebody to love me oh my gosh isn't that awful no are you kidding in eighth grade you're thinking of sending a love poem it was all i knew come on that's not most of the time the the boys in eighth grade are like pulling your hair or you know saying terrible things about you and you know and my daughter would come home with these stories i'm like that means he really likes you i know this makes no sense whatsoever That's what that means. But I love the idea that you were looking for a poem. I think that's yeah, awesome. I, I, I will confess that it was probably not successful. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it was, but it was it was one of my earliest memories of trying to turn to poetry to think of uh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something here. I love it. In eighth grade and sending love poems. Well, Travis, thank you so much oh, for it, coming here today to talk to us. I'm I'm so looking forward to your talk. Well, I thank you for having me, and I uh, I can't wait for uh, for December 10th. December 10th, yeah. we'll be there. And you all have been listening to Mishmash. We are on iTunes. M I C H M A S H Mishmash. Please subscribe. We'll catch you all next time. Mm-hmm.